This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Prepare to hear uh, the sermon. Let me invite Elijah to read for us a scripture passage right, that is taken from 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 to 40. And then we'll jump over to chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Okay, uh, good morning everyone. Let's hear God's word. 1 Kings chapter 1. When King David was very old, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his attendants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and, found her, and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready, with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zariah, and Abithar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest Beniah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei and Re, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened cows at the stone of Zoholeth near Enrogo. He invited his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Beniah, or the special guard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king, and our Lord David knows nothing about it? Now then, let me advise you on how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in to King David and say to him, My Lord the king, did you not swear to me, your servant? Surely Solomon, your son, will be king after me, and he will sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still talking to the king, I will come in and add my word to what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him. Bathsheba bowed down, prostrating herself before the king. What is it you want? the king asked. She said to him, My lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the lord your god. Solomon, your son, shall become king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened cows and sheep, and has invited all the king's sons, Abithar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and the king was told, Nathan Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord the king, declared that Adonijah shall shall be the king after you, and he will sit on your throne? 
Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened cows and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army and Abisar the priest. At this very moment they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But meet me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, Abaniah son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting his servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David said, Call him Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king, and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your lord's servants with you, and put Solomon my son on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There shall Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon! Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen! May the Lord, the God of my God, my Lord the king, so declare it. And the Lord was with my Lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, and the Kerithites and the Pethites went down and put Solomon on King David's mule, and they escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. Uh, moving on to chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you go, and, the Lord, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with their, their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Basilai of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gerah, the Benjamite of Bahurim, who, went, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanam. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his grey head down to the grave in blood. 
Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, 7 years in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on his throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pastor Andrew will now bring us the sermon. Thanks, Johnson, for leading us, and Elijah for reading so well the very long passage. Now, a very good afternoon to everyone. Good afternoon. Yes, morning, afternoon. Good afternoon. It's great to see everyone here. Why don't we turn around, look at the person next to you, uh, who is not your family member, and say, it's good to see you today. That's great. Now, today I'm going to do something slightly different. Uh, I've given you the sermon outline, and you can QR code and uh, have that on your phone as well if you want, along with some Bible passages. You can even write notes there. But there will no, there'll be no slides for the service. What I need is for you to take your Bible, if you use the church Bible, it's page 334, and have it open with you, and we'll be studying that or reading God's Word together. All right, I'll just put it there for a moment. I'm going to pray for us and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a God who is uncreated, and so is our Lord Jesus Christ, but he came for us created. Father, you know where our hearts have traveled in the last seven days, whether we have traveled far from you or whether we have stayed close to you. We ask your Spirit to bring our hearts close to you right now, so that as we open up your word, that your spirit will speak to us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the most moving interviews I've ever watched was by our country's founding father, late Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, on 9 August 1965. The Straits Times hater was this, Singapore is out. Nation becomes independent in a dramatic turn of events. I wonder if you have watched it on YouTube or if you're like me, we'll go to the National Museum and watch the whole history of Singapore unfold once again. Now, the speech was emotionally charged. Our future at the time as a new independent country was surrounded by unknowns. Everything felt threatening for a little country like ours. But our founder, he took the helm and assured the stability of the country. During that iconic interview that day, this is what he said, and I quote, There is nothing to be worried about. Many things will go on just as usual. But be firm, be calm. We are going to be a multiracial nation in Singapore. We will set the example. This is not a Malay nation. This is not a Chinese nation. This is not an Indian nation. Everyone will have his place equal. Now, for any nation that enters a new era, the threats it faces, the security it acquires, are most keenly experienced first by its leaders. And where the nation's future will be, often depends on the leaders who hold the helm. It was true for our nation back in 1965. It was especially true 
for the ancient nation of Israel in its last days of King David's life. For Israel, everything was going to hinge on God's promise to King David and his offspring. Who will succeed his throne? The new era was about to unfold. What Israel knew back then was God's covenant promise to David. This is what God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. I'll read it to us. When your days, David, are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, this will be the overarching theme of the whole book of the kings, the establishment of David's throne for David's offspring. But the question is this, which son or which offspring of David will take the throne? Will it be the son who declares himself king or the son who has the promise of God? So let's turn to the very beginning of King, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, page 334 of the Church Bible. In fact, look at verse 1 with me as I read it. When King David was very old, he could not keep warm even when he, they put covers over him. Now, 1 and 2 Kings are really one very big book. They're split into two just because of the sheer size of its context. So the whole First and Second Kings is really one book, and this is the beginning. But the setting, as you have just heard, of the book of the Kings may come as a surprise. Because it didn't begin in the throne room of a strong and glorious King David, the start of the, the history of the Kings. It begins in a bedroom of a frail old man. We're told that David was so old that he could not keep warm even with a blanket. Now, imagine one of those nights when you were very sick. Um, I don't know if the youths have this, but the older ones. Imagine one of those nights when you were very sick. You, you were shivering. Someone gave you a blanket. The blanket doesn't do anything. Like, give you two blankets. It still doesn't do anything. You're perspiring, but you're shivering right in your bones. You take paracetamol, and then you take paracetamol, but it doesn't really do you much good. And you're waiting for the sun to come out, but you are very, very cold. Well, if you can imagine that, if you have experienced that, that is the description of David, except that he would not be getting any better. Sleep would not refresh David. The sun would not warm him. And the king, because he was so frail, the kingdom of Israel could actually feel the chill. Israel felt vulnerable. In fact, they even feel fatherless. So to make the situation better, his attendant said to the king, let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. Now, the, the attendants had good intention, but it was a very ominous picture. It's a very dark picture. Perhaps the attendants thought to themselves, well, you know what? Having a very beautiful young virgin laying next to David would revitalize the king. Maybe it would get him back to his feet a little bit, be more alive. But perhaps when it's written for us by the author, it is a reminder of David's own downfall when he took Uriah's wife Bathsheba for himself because she was very beautiful. But their plans failed. Look at verse 4. This is what it says. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. The attendant's plan didn't work. 
David is still old and frail and bedridden. He's still the same David. The king was still alive, but he was no longer able to sit on his throne in his throne room. He's lying in his bed. But meanwhile, we read in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Now, Adonijah, whose mother was Hagith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. Now, we are told Adonijah was very much like his older brother, Absalom, who died trying to usurp David's throne uh, back in Samuel. Like Absalom, Adonijah honored himself here before the people with chariots and horses. Like Absalom, Adonijah was very handsome. Like Absalom, Adonijah was next in line to be king. And like Absalom, Adonijah declared himself king without the knowledge of his own father. Would he take the Davidic promise upon himself and be that king? Now, if you are in Israel, you will start to feel the uncertainty and the threats because the loyalty within the kingdom is starting to crack and divide. Some of the old guards of David are now taking the side of Adonijah, including the chief of army, Joab, and Abithar, the priest. And meanwhile, we are told there's another group who tried to remain faithful and loyal to David. You have Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophets, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and finally, there was Solomon, the son of David. Now, we are told back in 2 Samuel 12 that when Solomon was born, God sent Nathan to give him a new name, and his name was called Jedidiah, meaning loved by God. So that was Solomon. Now, when Adonijah, he gathered his supporters to join for his sacrifice at the stone of Zohaleph, near En Rogel, he invited all his brothers. Sounds like Absalom. He invited all his brothers except Solomon, verse 10. Now the question is, why did he include all the brothers except Solomon? Well, it turns out that David had made an oath that Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, would be king after him. In fact, this oath was not a secret knowledge. People do know about it and definitely Adonijah. So as we look at this uh, coup by Adonijah, his declaration, his conferring with Joab and Abitah was as much a rebellion against David as his brother Solomon, uh, uh, as his brother Absalom did. Now, if you're in Israel, this was a real threat for David and the kingdom especially when Joab, the chief of army, and all the sons of the king are with Adonijah. Now at this point, if you're in Israel, the king and his kingdom will look very weak. The king has been very passive, been very fragile, while his opponents were growing strong and prepared. The odd is tipping towards Adonijah and against God's chosen one. Now, here's the thing. This would become, this introduction would become the pattern for the Davidic kings and kingdoms all through the book of the kings. There will always be opponents threatening the king and his kingdom. Now, as David was laying in bed, oblivious of what was happening, the news reached Nathan the prophet. And Nathan went immediately to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, asking her, you need to speak to David now. And this is what you are to say. 
Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13 of the Bible. Go into King David and say to him, My Lord the King, did you not swear to me by your servant? Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me and he will sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? And Nathan said, And I too will approach the king and urge him to respond. So as the spotlight quickly turns back to that bedroom of that frail old man, we see he was struggling to take care of himself. Abishag, the Shanumite, the very beautiful woman, was attending to him. And then he saw Bathsheba approaching uh, unexpectedly. He seemed surprised. Maybe he's disturbed. He was totally unaware of the rebellion. And he said, what is it you want? Bathsheba. And Bathsheba responded as Nathan taught her. And then he, she added verse 20 onwards. Look at it. She goes on to say, My lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord, the king, is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. Now, David had become reclusive. He was cold, he was shivering. He was just uh, concerned about his kind of surrounding. And when Bathsheba arrived, she didn't guilt the lily. She didn't sweeten the situation. She basically comes to David's presence and he said, David, you are dying. But remember this, you are still the king and you have your responsibility to settle the throne. Talk about being direct. You have to secure the throne of your successor and it is your son Solomon not Adonijah. So while Bathsheba was still speaking to David, Nathan the prophet arrived, he confronted David on the issue of kingship. So here it is, while the threat of King David's kingdom was real, what we are seeing in this journey is that God is providing faithful ones to intervene and awaken David's spirit to make a swift and courageous decision. What the attendants tried to do, they failed, but here David is awakened by the voice of Nathan and Bathsheba. So once again, David affirmed his oath to Bathsheba before the Lord in verse 30. Look at it. Verse 30. I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. And calling to his most loyal servants, his most loyal servants, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah, son of Jehoiada. He gave this swift instruction in verse 33. He said to them, Take your Lord's servant with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon! Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. So at this, Benaniah son of Jehoiada finally spoke up in verse 36-37. He affirmed David's word with, Amen. Now we need to know something about Benaniah, which uh, is actually in Samuel and First Chronicles, it turns out Benaniah, he's actually the protector of King David. 
is the captain of David's personal guards, is one of David's 30 mighty men, right at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 23. He was also the chief of the Keratites and the Palatites, and these were the Gentile mercenary soldiers, the hired guns. Now, I remember chatting with a good friend of mine back in Bible college. Uh, he's a Nepali, but in his younger days, uh, he was serving in Singapore as part of the Gurkha contingent. If you know anything about the Gurkhas, they're tough, tough people. And to be selected for that in Nepal, you have to be a very, very fit young man. So he was there, we were having um, sandwich, and I, I just asked him casually, I said, hey buddy, do you know, or would you be able to kill someone with your bare hands? I was just kind of joking, and we were talking about life, and he, he always had this big smile, a Nepali smile, but then he, the smile just disappeared. He put his sandwich down. He looked at me, and he said, Andrew, do you really want to know? For this split second, I really didn't want to know the details. But I was just glad that he's my friend and we are not enemies. As you come back here, the men under Beniah, the Keratites, the Palatites, the hired hands or high guns, they were called in to escort Solomon to Gihon as David's, on David's meal to be anointed by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet as king. And as they did, they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. Now the ground shook, the news reached Adonijah, and this is what was brought to him. The news says this, Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. The royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David. And the king, he, he's not at the throne room, the king bowed in worship on his bed, saying, verse 48, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. Thus ended Adonijah's tread on David's throne and the beginning of Solomon's kingship. Now, dear friends, when we read up to this point of how the Davidic throne was established for King Solomon, we are meant to recognize that the Davidic kingship never came easy. The dramatic start of this whole big book sets the stage for all future kingships. Even the final king who was to be born in Bethlehem like David, who was crowned but with thorns instead of precious stone and was hung on the cross as the king of the Jews, he came and he faced great threats before he was crowned king. This is the picture of kingship and kingdom. It is not an amusement park with popcorn. It is serious stuff with trials and threats towards the Davidic throne because there will be betrayal even from the inner circle and those who he calls brothers that he shares bread and cup with, that there will be betrayal. There will be a need for wisdom as well as loyalty and obedience to be the king's followers. Yet while there are real threats, we are also meant to see the provision of God as he provides servants who will stand faithful to the king and his throne. Now, dear friends, I want to say this, that this picture of the king and his kingdom is not history because it's the same even 
today for you and for me. Because God's kingdom in this world still looks weak. Until our King Jesus reply, uh, returns, there will still be ongoing oppositions and threats on God's people when we try to remain loyal to the King. Now, at times, if you're in a church, as a church, you'll feel the heat and the threats when we seek to stand on God's word and promises. Now, often we, we hear of churches being attacked during Christmas, uh, and, and, and it's no different in the last Christmas. Um, Johnson just led us to pray for, for the Christians uh, in, the, uh, in Nigeria. There were 113 who were killed. Uh, 300 were, were affected in the Christian villages. It was a systematic planned attack. That on Christmas Eve, the attackers came and they were murdering one by one right up into Christmas while the Christians are celebrating their king. It has always happened and it still happens. It will continue to happen until the king arrives there. This is what the spokesperson said. There have been many defenseless Christians attacked without provocation. Now, meanwhile, in other more sophisticated countries, there are places where churches will be pressured to compromise on truths, or else we may have people or oppositions from inside who will propagate false teachings. There will always be threats. And there will always be challenges to God's kingdom and God's king. But the promise is this, that God will set all things straight. Now we need to see that both God's providence and the responsibility of God's people, they always work concurrently. It's the same in the past, it's the same for now, that God will make his promises true and come to pass. And his call is for his people and his king to be obedient and follow his way. And that is David's last wish. And that's David's focus as he gives this one phrase in his dying breath. And this is meant not just for Solomon, but for all the kings and all the king's people. So look with me to chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 4. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So these are the words of the dying king. Be strong, be a man, Solomon. Solomon is still young. Uh, most commentaries say the oldest he is, probably 20. Yeah. So try to be a king right after joining youth. That's kind of the age for Solomon. He had big shoes to wear. It's daunting because his father has been king for 40 years, twice his age. But Solomon needed to be strong and courageous. Just like how Joshua needed to when Moses passed him the role and says, you lead the people in the promised land. And so now Solomon has to lead his people inside the promised land. Now, the central role of the king, says the dying David, is this. Look at verse 3. Walk in obedience to God and to keep all the laws of Moses. Now, obedience is the key 
to kingship and to understand the whole of First and Second Kings. The rise and the fall of the kings are not by their capabilities or by their armies or chariots, but by whether they obey or disobey God. That is how the kingdom moves. It is a call to be righteous. And we actually saw this throughout the Bible in 2 Samuel 7, in the covenant that is the focus. In David's last words, we saw it last year in 2 Samuel 23, David's last words is about this. We see this in David's last prayer last week in Psalm 72. It is about obedience and righteousness and bearing the character of God. So the instruction for God's king is to rule in obedience to God, to rule faithfully and righteously and to bear the character of God. Because here's the thing, if the kings are to walk faithfully before the Lord with all their heart and soul, they will never fail to have a kingdom and a king. Now to be clear, the obedience is not a subjective thing. It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to be obedience to God, so this is how I think I should obey. It is not subjective, it's totally objective, and in fact, it's very comprehensive here. It's decrees and commands, laws, and regulation as written in the law of Moses. Because here's the thing, right at the end of the book of the king, uh, book of the judges, before the kings come, at the last verse of the book of the judges, this is what happens in Israel. Let me read to you, it's from Judges 21-25, just before the kings comes in, it says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So when the time of the kings and the days of the king comes, they are meant to say, in these days when there are kings, they do what is right in the eyes of God. That should be how it is. Now, I remember when I was in secondary tree, we have cross countries. Do you all still have it? And they used to have those banner competition for classes. And it was a, it's a big hit because there's always cash money. Right, if you, you, you win first prize, you get cash money and you're going to party. So it, it happens, like, sec three, we have all these banners, we drew the banners, and on the final, on the day itself, when they have the selection, guess who won? My class won the banner competition. Not everyone is very happy because ours is not the prettiest. Like, there were big fancy ones all around, and, and, and they didn't win. So the unhappy students from other classes went to ask, why did they win? It looks terrible. Uh, and it turns out the answer is this. Because they kept to the measurements and you did not. They had all these big fancy banners, but nobody read the fine line that you need the banner to be this size and this size, and we kept to it. And because of that, all this disqualification, we, we, we won the prize money. It's objective. It's not subjective to how we think, but how the judge thinks. And this is what God gives us, his law of Moses. That is the way to rule justly under God. In the coming chapters, we will see the rise and the fall through Solomon's obedience or disobedience. Now, dear friends, at this point, I want to kind of engage us a little bit that while we are not David, or we are not Solomon, while we are not Adonijah, there's something similar we have with them. And it's our fallen human nature. And we need the same instructions. Here it is. If you understood David, David in his frailty, he was not a very good father. He didn't teach very well Absalom. He didn't teach very well Adonijah here in chapter 1 verse 6. And one of the reasons why he wasn't very good in being a good father is because of the burden of his past sins. Because of his sins. And the writer, he reminds us by bringing 
Nathan and Bathsheba write to David's bedroom again to remind him of his burden of sin. And because of the burden of his sin, he, he wasn't able to get the plot right all the time. And here's the thing, you and I, in the days where we are burdened by sin, we sometimes miss the plot. We miss the plot, we forgot God's command, we forgot God's promises. And that's why the words that David gave to Solomon was not just for the king, but it is also for us. It's also for us that we walk in obedience to God's word, that we turn to God regularly for forgiveness, for restoration, for instruction, so that we may live a good life. Again, David, in his frailty, he really needed God's help. He was unable to make the right decisions until the loyal ones came to him and wakened him up. In the same way, you know, we should really be thankful for the person that you just said, I'm glad to see you today, the local church that you have, because there are days where you will be down in your pits and there will be someone who comes in and pulls you up because you can't do it alone. And so the words that David has for Solomon, again, is for us. Now, meanwhile, the rebellious streak of Adonijah, we think, what a terrible son he is. You know what? What Adonijah just declared is not his words alone. It's an echo of his father from day one, from Adam, that I am the king. Now, every time when we turn away or we sin against God, we are really just looking at God's face and say, I will be the king. And so, the words that David gives to Solomon really is for us. That as we obey God's word, or we try to obey God's word, you know what we are saying? As we try to obey God's word, we are saying, you are the king. It's not that we always fit it and complete it, and when we come back to the king, he forgives us. But as we turn from our ways to God's way, we are saying, you are the king. And that's what David wants Solomon to know, that God is the king. And David always in the presence of God says, your servant comes to you. And that's what Adonijah would never have. So friends, chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, it is actually a key theme for the, all the kings to come, beginning with Solomon here. And it's also the key theme for all God's people, including Christians today, like you and me. So as Jesus obeyed perfectly, even on the cross, so we too will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord and we submit to his word. And in doing that, we're saying, you are the king. Now finally, as we wrap up the rest of chapter 2, I just want to look very, very briefly on the remaining instructions of David to Solomon from verse nine, verse 5 to 9. He gave Solomon some unfinished task that he needed to do in order to establish the kingdom. So this is what happened. As David lay on his bed, he gave his last advice to Solomon on dealing rightly with enemies and the faithful. He says to the enemies such as Joab, Shimei, David says verse 6 to nine, six and 9, deal with them according to your wisdom, but don't let them go unpunished. But for those who are kind to him, such as the son of Brazili, David said in verse 7, show kindness to them. So Justice and kindness. And with that, Solomon dealt with his oppressors from verse 13 to 46, which we don't have to read. But here it is. Adonijah, Abitah, Joab, Shimei, Solomon dealt with them as he saw fit. No one actually escaped Solomon's justice. Adonijah, he asked for a chance to 
live again, but he proved unworthy and his head went off. Abita, he deserved to die, but because he carried the ark, Solomon says, you go home, but you are put off your robe. And Joab, whose hands were stained with the blood of the innocent, was put to the sword. Shimei, like Adonijah, he was given a second chance, but he proved himself unworthy and he was put to the sword. And that was how this ended. And so with that last instruction, we read from verse 10 to 12, David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Now, here's the thing I want to bring out as we look at chapter 2 very briefly, is that when we read how David handled the enemies, we can fall into two wrong camps. The first camp is this, that we think that this description of David's instruction for Solomon is a prescription for us. It's a description of what David said and prescribed to us that, especially so if you're reading the Bible and you have someone that you really don't like in the office or in, in your class or your friend says, if you're Chinese, this unhelpful phrase, Google just translate, if you want revenge, even 10 years is fine. He says, David does it. Uh, that is the wrong way of reading a passage like this. Please don't. A description is not a prescription. The other swing that you go to is say, you know, David and Solomon, they're really pretty bad guys. They're just vengeful people. If, if we just jump on that, we're also wrong on the wrong wagon. So how do we actually understand passages like that when we read it? Uh, the context is very important. When you look at it, this is really what it meant. If you look at verse 5 to 46, that David's last concern are really two things. Unfinished justice and the throne of Solomon to be established. The kingdom's stability sits on the shoulder of the king and David says it now sits on you, my son. The stability of the kingdom sits on the king always. So while 1 Kings chapter 1, he raised that big question, who will sit on David's throne? 1 Kings chapter 2 presents Solomon as the chosen king and his throne was established. Why do I say this is a focus? I'll just bring you to how chapter 2 actually brings it as a focus. I'll just read to you the repetition that you will not miss if you look at it. Verse 12, it says this, So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his rule was firmly established. Verse 24, the, the Lord has established him securely on the throne of David and gave him a dynasty as promised. Verse 45, King Solomon will be blessed. David's throne will remain secure before the Lord forever. And finally, that very last verse of this whole chapter in verse 46, the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hand. So that is the focus of David's instruction. It's not vengeance, but it's justice and the establishment of the king's throne for the kingdom. So dear friends, as we wrap up, we are just beginning First Kings, but we are called to look beyond this one king to all the other kings to the final king, the greatest David King, Jesus. Now here we have, you know, the central of it was the father giving instructions to the king. There's one more that's given. When there's a heavenly king, the father gave instructions to the heavenly king as he comes down to us. I want to read this passage to you where Jesus himself explains this message. Uh, and I put it there for you. This is from John 6, 38 to 40. Imagine this conversation. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will 
is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So dear friends, this is the kingdom, and this is the king that you and I are in. And this is the message of the Father to the king, that he comes to gather his people so that we, even if we die, will be risen from the dead to be with him in that new era. The question is, are we with this king or are we with other kings that says, I am the king? Which will we stand? Because the new era will come. One will look stronger than the other now, but one is certain because he has father's throne. Now let me close with these words given by another statement. I, I read this man many, many years ago, and I, I love his writing, some of them. It's called Abraham Kuyper. He was the prime minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. Now, one of his famous quotes about Jesus being the king is this. Let me read to you. He says this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Which king and kingdom will you stand in a new era? Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for this time as we begin the book of First Kings. We ask God as we read and learn from your passage, as we learn about the king and whether they obey or disobey you, that we are reminded of the king who had perfectly obeyed you and so his kingdom is firmly established. Help us to trust in our king in times of threats and uncertainty on this side of life because we know that when he comes, his kingdom will be established and those who are dead in Christ will be risen and those who are still alive will be brought back to him. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for the sermon. And uh, Pastor Andrew has prepared a few reflection questions for us uh, as we ponder over what we have heard. Uh, in view of time, uh, we shall not go into uh, discussion time, but please take a picture of this uh, and you can discuss this over lunch or reflect on these uh, questions uh, over the week. Right? Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.